worship team, what's the role of the musicians and singers? What are they doing when they, when they play? Or they sing? Well, I'll tell you what they're doing. They're there to encourage us to use the gifts that God has given to us to uh, declare out through our lungs and through our voices and through our minds uh, the glories of Christ and the wonders and the truths of salvation and the blessings that we have. So when we have a group here that lead us in uh, song and in worship, it's an opportunity to use the gifts that God's given to us and they're there to encourage us to join in with them, to unite our voices together and to uh, declare to, to uh, not only ourselves, which we are declaring to ourselves, but to declare to the community as well in a sense that uh, we have a wonderful God and we love to sing about this wonderful God and to declare his truths um, to all far and wide. So thank you. Thanks, guys, for blessing us in that way. Tell me, what is one of the first things to happen when a mother has her baby? Don't have to answer. Just think. Um, They're usually very keen to get the mother and the baby together for a first feed or drink. And I'm sure Eli and um, mother was happening that way just a few weeks ago. It's very keen to get the mother and the baby to uh, begin to bond and to connect for that first uh, drink or that first feed from the mother's milk supply that God has given to mothers to be able to nurture babies with. And this usually starts this really special bond between mother and and baby, it's a very special time they have together as they, as they feed and they nurture their baby. The baby, as it were, abides or remains with the mother and as it does this, it rapidly grows into a healthy boy or girl. This uh, baby is receiving its life from the mother through this intimate connection that they have as newborns, um, as it were, this is their source of life coming from the baby, becomes generally a healthy and fruitful Uh, little baby boy or girl. Well, today Jesus is calling his followers into a fruitful life when they stay connected to him and abiding in him. So let's uh, grab your Bibles and let's go to John chapter 15 and we'll read from verses uh, 1 to 11 as we see here this uh, connection that Jesus talks about with his disciples in this first part of uh, John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Father, thank you. Thank you today that we have this uh, great passage of Scripture to uh, open up and to think about and to look at. I ask and pray now that Holy Spirit, you would come 
and that you would bring life to these words. You would bring life to the truth that's contained in here. That as we abide, as we are intimately connected to Christ, uh, living and feeding off him, yielding to his lordship in our lives, uh, the Lord, we will bear fruit. It is your will that we do this. So I pray, help us to see that this morning and uh, help us to bear fruit, I pray, Lord. And we ask that we do this for your glory. Amen. Here Jesus gives a very practical picture here of a tree bearing fruit. Uh, This is certainly something that Jesus did much of. Spoken sort of clear terms, uh, word illustrations or pictures to be able to communicate to people exactly what he was saying. Uh, This picture here gives us the the idea of a life source. A tree has sap flowing through it and then it produces fruit. This life source, as it were, flows through the branches and the branches then enable um, uh, buds to be produced and they actually form into a fruit fruit bud and then fruit comes from that. And this is exactly where Jesus wants to go to today as he continues to encourage his disciples with his final words. That's where Jesus is. He's in the Last Supper and probably at this point, as I read through a few commentaries, he's actually left the supper room and they may be walking out towards the garden at this point in time. That's only a thought there from a few of them. But he's in his final words. He's trying to encourage them that they will be fruit bearers, that they will grow and produce fruit with their lives and this fruit will be fruitful for God's glory. Jesus is saying here that there'll be some evident marks in the lives of these disciples in their growth that will indicate fruitfulness and also fruitfulness for God's kingdom as it grows in and around uh, Judea at that time and now today as the God's kingdom is still growing here in the greater shepherding community. So let's go there now as we think about Jesus and think about his disciples producing fruit here as they abide and stay closely connected to him, their life source. One thing though that we just need to think about as we uh, approach this idea of abiding fruit and uh, growing fruit in our lives, not the apples and pears and plums type of fruit that we're thinking of, but other type of fruit, and we'll get to that in a second. There's something that Jesus does talk about though as a condition for this fruit to take place. Something needs to be in place here that, uh, that will work in the disciples' lives to help them or to see them produce this fruit. What is this condition that Jesus asks them? Well, let's look at a very common word that Jesus says in a number of verses, and we'll just go through them quite quickly. In verse 4, it says, abide in me twice. In verse 5, it says, whoever abides in me. In verse 6, it says, abide in me again. You'll see a common theme here that Jesus is talking about. Verse 7, if you abide in me. And then verse 9, abide in my love. It's a common word that Jesus is saying a number of times. He's actually communicating something here when he says this uh, over and over again. So there's six occasions where Jesus says to his followers to abide in him, to abide in him. This is the condition here that Jesus lays down for his followers, which will result in a fruitful life. It will come about from abiding in him. What does Jesus mean by abide in in him. What does the word abide mean? Probably not a word we use too often today in today's English. The word abide can mean to remain with, to dwell with, or to exist in. Uh, The word abide also carries with it a continuing action or a constant position. To remain or to exist in or to dwell with in a continuing constant action. 
So for me to abide uh, as a father in my family, it will mean I will need to be present with them in some way, to abide with them, which will either be in a physical way, hey, we all live under the same roof, so I am in that sense abiding with them in an ongoing sense, in a continual way, because we all are sharing the same space together, we're abiding together. Or... When I'm not there, it couldn't look like this. I am God's ordained abiding authority in their lives, even when I'm not around them physically. So I should still be abiding with them in a respect sense or an authority sense that God has placed me in their lives. I'm not physically in the same space as them, but they should should still have me abiding with them in the way that God has placed me in their lives as an authority figure in their lives. And it must be constant. It must be continual. It can't be broken. I can't go and head off for five or six years and go on a big long holiday cruising around the world and then just come back because then I've actually broken that abiding sense because I've actually left them and uh, no longer remaining with them. So it must be in this continual sense. I must stay in that continuous action. So that's what the word abide means. It's to be connected with, remain with, dwell with in this ongoing, continuous state. But how does that apply with Jesus when he says, abide in me? What's it mean to abide in Jesus here when he talks about abiding in me? Numbers of times here in John chapter 15. Two positions we can have when it comes to abiding with Jesus. The first one is we'll either submit and yield ourselves to Jesus as our Lord and King, as in abiding or remaining in his care or abiding and remaining in his love or abiding and remaining under his lordship over our lives. He's not with us physically. Jesus is not. He hasn't been here for 2,000 years. But here, in his, by his Holy Spirit, we can abide under his authority by abiding in him. The other position, which is absolutely not abiding with Jesus, is when we choose not to submit or yield to him. We are then totally disconnected and we are totally cut off from Christ. That is not abiding with him at all. We either abide in him by yielding to his authority into our lives and living under his lordship and doing this gladly and joyfully. Or if we do not choose to do that, we are not abiding with Christ at all. We've cut ourselves off from him. We've gone our own way. Here's what Jesus says here. About this, if you keep my commandments, in uh, John fifteen ten, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So there's the link that Jesus puts here. Here's this idea. As you live in, under my authority, under my rulership in your lives, uh, you will abide in my love. You will abide in him. And again in John 14, he says this. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, And I will love him and manifest myself to him. It's the same thing here that Jesus says in John 15. As we yield to God's rulership in our lives and live under him as our loving Lord, then we are abiding under his authority and living in his care over our lives. So to abide or remain in Jesus is not only believing in the gospel and putting our trust in him, which we would do at conversion, where we hear the truth about Christ, that we've all gone each our own way and that Jesus has purchased our lives at the cross and Lord, now I entrust my life to you as my saviour because you've washed my sins away at the cross and you've saved me. It's that, but it's the ongoing sense of now happily and lovingly living under his sovereign lordship over my life. He's not only my saviour, but he's also my Lord. 
is also the ruler of my life. The one who is in a continuous state or an ongoing way uh, ruling over me lovingly and gladly. Jesus isn't just Lord on Sundays. He's Lord of every day and of every moment in our lives. Okay, so that's abiding here with Jesus, living under his sovereign lordship and living under his good rule for our lives. This is what Jesus is talking about here in this abiding. But Jesus goes on to talk to the disciples here and us, and he says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. There'll be something to show or that is evident in your life that will result from living in this obedience to Jesus. There'll be fruit to be seen. And it's really, really important here that we see that Jesus wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to produce something. He wants us to have something in our lives that reflect that we are connected in him and abiding in him. He's a very generous God. He's not a stingy, miserly God. He wants us to be productive and fruitful. And he desires that we will be transformed and fruitful for him. He says here in verse 16 of chapter 15, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Jesus wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants to give us his grace uh, so that we will be his people and we will bear fruit in our lives for him. So appointed to bear fruit, it says there in verse 16, and that that fruit will abide or remain. That fruit will will abide or remain. Okay, what does that look like? What's the fruit here that Jesus is talking about as he now begins to open up to us? Hey, I want you to um, uh, produce fruit in your life. I think there's there's a big picture sense here that Jesus wants us to be fruitful in all of our life. In all of our life. But what we have to be clear about here is the definition of what all of life means when we come to that. But let's have a look in verse 5. It says there, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. I think there is a big picture sense here that Jesus wants us to be fruitful in all of life. But we need to get the definition of what all of life means. Does fruitfulness in all of life mean that anything financial I will touch will become a money-making, prosperous venture? Does fruitfulness in all of life mean that I will be successful in everything that I put my hand to? Or does fruitfulness in all of life mean that I will be healthy in my body all the time for the rest of my days? Is that the fruitfulness here that Jesus has in mind as he talks about that? The short answer is no. No one can give a positive response to any of those questions. Say, yep, that's exactly what Jesus means. He wants me to be too rich and he wants me to be successful in everything I touch and he wants me to be healthy every day of my life, never having to visit the doctor once. That isn't the way God works with us in the sense of here, in this fruitfulness picture that he's talking about that. There are purposes in God that we just don't know and we just don't see and we can't comprehend why things happen the way they happen. Yes, some people may be... successful in their finances and this is where God will have them to be fruitful but that won't be for other people it doesn't make them any less a Christian or any less a person God has different purposes for their lives and the same can be said for will I be successful in everything I endeavour to attempt or will I be healthy completely throughout all of my life not necessarily 
for some people, that may be God's plan, that may be God's purposes. That you could be successful in many, many things and you could live an extremely healthy life. And others, that won't be God's purposes, that won't be God's plan. We don't exactly know what God has ordained for our lives here. So what can we say with certainty here that it is that Jesus desires us to be fruitful in? Because he says, I want you to go and be fruitful, to abide, and this fruit abides. What is it that I can be certain of here that Jesus wants me to be fruitful in? Well, here's one I think is absolutely right on the money. Probably a bad phrase to use after I just take the money, isn't it? Here's one that's right on the top. God wants us, Jesus wants us to be fruitful in our character. That is a lay-down misere. That is a no-brainer. That is God's will for our life, to be fruitful in our character, in growing and developing in the likeness of Christ. Paul says it here to the Galatians in 5, 23, a very familiar verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, this is exactly the fruit that Jesus wants us to bear in our lives. He wants character fruit. Fruit that is abiding, fruit that is remaining, and fruit that is very, very telling in our lives that we are followers of Christ. And this is an incredible blessing of God's grace in lives as he wants to shape our character. Everybody's character needs shaping. I don't care if you're the nicest person in this church, you need to change. I need to change. We all need to change. As the Spirit works within each one of us and as we cooperate with the desires that God's Spirit places within us, our character becomes fruitful in the sense of being changed into more loving, caring, sensitive people, people who begin to develop the heart of Christ and the love that He's placed in our lives. This is a great blessing. This is a tremendously fruitful blessing that we receive from Jesus, that our character is shaped and formed in him. Now, I don't know if you've been around some people, but some people, in the sense of uh, they're very bad characters, they are very, very difficult to be around. Some people are just downright nasty. Some people just haven't got a good word to say at all sometimes. Some people are just downright grumpy. And it's very hard to be around those people sometimes, really hard to be around those people. I'm not trying to look at anybody in particular as I look around now. It just is. But when you're somebody who's working hard or developing those areas of love and joy and peace and patience and faithfulness and self-control, it's really easy to be around those people. It's actually uplifting to be around those people. So this is the blessing that God wants to build in our lives, to be fruitful in our character. In the context of this passage also of the disciples, I believe there's also a fruitfulness in the sense of God's kingdom growing uh, out through their works and their efforts. I think in many respects Jesus is saying through this, guys, your efforts in the gospel will yield fruit. People will become followers of Jesus. God's kingdom will grow. And I can think the disciples will look back on this time when Jesus was saying these last words here on this last night he was alive on the earth and they went through all of their efforts to uh, share the gospel and see people saved. They were, gee, that's amazing. We started just a a small, tiny bunch of us and Jesus said we'd be fruitful. We laboured away, we laboured away, we laboured away and here's John writing this probably 60 years later and now there's thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians. You know, Jesus was absolutely right. 
he said we would be fruitful. You know, we didn't look that way when we were doing those really hard yards back then, but he said we will, uh, we will bear fruit as we abide in him. And it's no different for us here at Exchange. We start from small beginnings and God slowly stirs us and grows us and we see things happen. We see God's kingdom grow and it's right that we pray. Pray that God will bear much fruit in seeing his kingdom grow in the sense of more and more people coming in to find Christ as a saviour. This is exactly what Jesus here is willing for these disciples and exactly what he wills for us today. That the church is a rescue mission. The church is a place which shines the light of the gospel to save people from God's judgment and from hell. God wants us to be fruitful in that. Jesus says you will abide in me and you will grow fruit and that fruit will come as we connect ourselves to him as our life source and we will see his kingdom growing. Jesus wants us to bear fruit other other areas as well. He wants to see our prayers answered and to bear fruit. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now some of you are asking the question, can I ask whatever I wish? Can I let my mind just go wild here and just whatever I wish, can I ask that? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Can I ask for that three bedroom penthouse apartment on the top floor of the Gold Coast overlooking the ocean with a nice coffee shop below and some nice shopping centre all within walking distance? Can I ask for that? Is that what I wish for? Well, the Bible sometimes is really, really easy to read and then a little harder to understand. No, you cannot ask for whatever you wish for and get it. But didn't Jesus just say, whatever you wish for, and you'll get it? Jesus isn't saying that he's like a Father Christmas. If, whether you're naughty or nice, you can present your list to him at the end of the year, and you'll just, if you're, if you're nice, you'll get the whole list. And if you're naughty, well, you're not going to get it. Jesus isn't like that. But you might say again, Todd, it says there, whatever you wish. Whatever you wish. So what does Jesus mean when he says that? Let's have a look at that. Can I suggest this? This is the idea that Jesus has in his mind as he's saying here these words, whatever you wish, you will get. Let me suggest this. If we are truly abiding in Jesus and doing this in a constant fashion, that we are getting our life from Christ, that our prayer life will then very much begin to resemble the desires and the plans of Jesus. If we are truly abiding in him, our prayers will begin to look like much the same way the things that Jesus is desiring. As we remain living in obedience to the ways of Christ and his words abiding in us, our heart and our mind will be conformed. It will be transformed. It will be changed to begin to think like Jesus and to desire the same things that Jesus desires. As his character becomes clearer within our own heart and mind and we're attracted to that, It's a very natural progression that now we actually want the same things that Jesus wants and to desire the same things that he wants to see. If that's the case, it will have a direct effect on the way we pray. As we are abiding in Christ, beginning to think more like him, being transformed into his character, it will change the way we pray. It will change the things we pray for. A very natural consequence will be that our prayers will take on more of a, Jesus, please help me to become more like you. 
Jesus, please help me to battle against the sin, remaining indwelling sin in my life so that my character can be conformed in you. Jesus, please help me to shine out your life through my life. Jesus, please help me to see my family and friends become followers of Christ. I think a lot of our prayers will begin to take that type of shape. And when we're sick and we're ill, we'll say, Jesus, please, please restore me and make me well so I can glorify your name in every opportunity I have in my life. All good and right things to pray for. That's what will happen as we abide in Christ. It will begin to reshape the way we think and reshape the way we pray. And I'm quite sure that as we abide in him, we won't have prayers to go down the path of sort of um, self-centred, affluent, pampered life of luxury. That actually won't be in our hearts, at the forefront of our hearts. We'll begin to see the world as Jesus sees it. And we'll begin to see this world needs much to be sacrificed to demonstrate the gospel of Christ, not living a life of luxury uh, in a penthouse apartment on the Gold Coast. So Jesus assures that as we abide in him, that our prayers will be answered. It's a tremendous encouragement for us to pray. Here's something else that Jesus says about being fruitful in him. He says, also, as we abide in him, we will be fruitful in God's love. Verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is another incredible blessing that we receive from God, as we abide in Christ, as we remain closely connected, remained in him in a constant, continuous action, we will actually be living in his love. If you look at that there, it's amazing what he says in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. There's this perfect love between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's this same love that now Jesus says, my love will be in you. This same perfect love. And this love is incredible in the sense of of a feeling of when they're going through hard times. I imagine these disciples, when they're feeling isolated and lonely and doing really hard yards for the gospel and challenging places, they'll be living in God's love in the most remotest of times. And there'll be something that will carry them on and encourage them and empower them on. This is the fruit that they will bear as they abide in him that they'll be living in God's love. It just goes to so, because if you're not going to live under the Lordship of Christ, live as it were estranged or cut off from him, you will not sense God's love in your life. You will sense like there is coldness between you and God because you have removed yourself away and no longer connected to him. But as you stay connected to him, abiding in him, we remain in this amazing love that God has for us. Joy. Is another fruit that Jesus says you'll have. He promises them joy. Verse 11, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. As it were here, Jesus sort of summarises what he's just been saying to them. And he says, I've told you all these things because in this, abiding in me, you will experience joy. As you, as you abide and remain in me, as you remain constantly connected to me, drawing your life from me, living my life out through you as your Lord, you will have joy. Joy. 
This fruit in your life will be joy. A life following and abiding in Christ will be marked by joy. It's really hard to describe what that's like. You sort of can't put that in words. What does that mean to have joy? The best I could actually say is just abide in Christ and you'll experience that joy. Begin to do that. And I am certain that as you abide in him, absolutely rock solid certain, as you live submitted to Christ in his ways, allowing him to be the Lord of your life, you will experience joy. You will experience joy in many respects that's nearly unexplainable. I'm 100% confident that will take place. If you do what Jesus has called, that is to abide in him, you will experience it. You might say, Todd, you're very confident here. How can this be so? How can you say that you can guarantee that if I abide in Christ, I'll experience that joy? How can you be so confident to say that? Well, Jesus has just said it. And he doesn't uh, let his word fall to the ground without being fulfilled. He stands right behind his word. He says, if you abide in me, you will experience joy. I've experienced it in my own life at varying times. Abiding in Christ lifts your mind, lifts your heart into an incredibly high vision of eternity despite where you are at that particular time of life. And with this vision of eternity, your heart is then filled with an incredible hope. Just like James and Hannah today as they grieve for their father. Now, if the world was grieving in this situation, there is no hope as the world would grieve in this situation. It's the end. I don't know where he is. I'm not sure what's happened to him. That's how the world would think about that. But as believers abiding in Christ, our hope rises within our hearts with an eternal perspective saying, Bernard's no longer with us. He's in another place. Actually, I'm going to be with him at the end of my days. And this hope begins to produce a joy, even in the midst of sorrow and difficulty. Now, if you don't believe me, you can go and read numbers and numbers of biographies of believers who have gone through life and experienced life with all of its challenges, far more difficult than I've ever experienced. And you will see there from time after time, just the periods of joy that God has brought into their lives as they've abided in Christ in the most difficult of circumstances. I'll tell you again, abide in Christ and you will experience his joy. Totally. As we begin to wrap this up, here's this very powerful statement that I read that Jesus makes here that really carries completely what he's saying in this passage. There's something that Jesus says here that really does begin to uh, lock it down. And it's something that as I read it myself, it begins to echo in my soul as I think here about what Jesus is saying. It comes in verse 5 and it says this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now get these last words here. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Ultimately, Jesus is saying here, I am your life. I am your source of life. We are the branches attached to the vine. Jesus is saying, I'm the one who is giving you life. Just like a mother and a baby when they're attached, is the mother giving that life to that baby through the milk supply. The vine supplies the branches so they can grow and be fruitful. But look at those last words again. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a very big statement Jesus is saying there. Very big statement. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
What does Jesus mean when he says that? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing means I can't breathe without Jesus. I can't think without Jesus. I can't move a muscle without Jesus. I can't speak or listen without Jesus. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now you might say, well, I'm not actually a Christian and I'm still living and breathing and thinking. And Yeah, you are. But you're only doing that because Jesus is allowing you to do that. It's his grace into your life so that you can do that. But Jesus is still saying, apart from me you can do nothing. The very fact that you or I can go to sleep tonight is a gift of God's grace. Because apart from Jesus, we can't sleep. He says, apart from me you can do nothing. This is incredible as I think about this because I I look at this, not only does he enable us to do those things like sleep and breathe and eat and drink and think and all that sort of stuff, he actually pours his grace more abundantly into our life and he wants us to be fruitful in this passage as well. Great, Jesus, I'm so glad that I'm thinking and sleeping and breathing and eating, but actually you want to go above and beyond and want me to be fruitful in this life. This is incredible. Jesus wants us to grow in spiritual fruit, gloriously answering our prayers, filling us with his love, wrapping us in his eternal joy, and all this absolutely connected to him as the life that flows through us so we can produce that. This is a a generous God who is flowing into our lives with pure grace so that we can be fruitful. So that we can be fruitful. Here's some thoughts. Are we truly abiding in Jesus? Are we remaining in him? Is he the one that I'm constantly connected to and allowing him to be the central figure in my life, submitted to his ways? Really critical question to ask ourselves. Very, very important because where we abide has direct consequences on our life. What we're connected to, what's flowing in and through our lives will have direct consequences in our life. You see, where we receive our source of life from will determine what fruit we we will produce in our lives. There's two places where you can draw your life from. Two places. You can draw your life from the ways of this world. You can. You can be immersed in all the ideas and the ideals of this world and they will indirectly influence what fruit you produce with your life. You can bypass Jesus and you can go after all the glory this world offers through fame, success and beauty and you will achieve some fame, success and some beauty. By doing all that. You can push Jesus aside and you can take the road that this world offers and try and produce the fruit that this world would say is what you need to produce. And sometimes that road looks really, really attractive. Particularly so when you see so many people going down that road, walking down that road, marching down that road, choosing fame, success and beauty and all the other things associated with that. You could choose to build your life there. But the road that this world offers as our source of life will end in broken dreams and shattered expectations. Yeah, you'll you'll get some short-lived stuff happening. You will. Some people, they're being very successful and they're very beautiful and they're very wealthy. And there's nothing wrong with those things as per se, but if they become the number one thing they pursue and build their life on, it will end in broken dreams and shattered expectations. If you travel down this road, you will very, very quickly discover... There's a whole train wreck of humanity littered along that road. Sad to see um, 
uh, the tennis player this week, Bernard Tomic. Just saying I'm bored with this. It's a bit of a picture of it all. He's got fame, he's got money, he's got success. Got all those things. Uh, this is a bit boring, actually. That's not where life is. That's not where life will be found. Jesus offers another alternative. And this alternative is drawing its lifeblood from the life of Christ that is poured into us as we come humbly to him. And then from this, he shapes us, he moulds us, and he gloriously and wonderfully produces fruit that will be a blessing, not only in our lives, but to the life of the community around about us. Today, where are you abiding? Where are you constantly and closely connected in with? What is the life that you are allowing to flow through you to produce what sort of fruit that you'll have in your life? Guys, please do not pass up this incredibly generous offer that Jesus gives today, that we can produce abiding fruit, eternal fruit, as we are closely connected to him. Let's pray. Well, thank you today that we can come and gather around your word. Father, thank you for this incredible blessing that you give to us as we abide in Christ, as we seek that close connection with him, Lord, through fellowshipping together with each other. Lord, living in his uh, authority in our lives, his good authority in our lives, submitting and yielding ourselves to his ways. The Lord, you have ordained that we will produce fruit. Father, today I pray that each person here would be closely and even more closely, Lord, connected to you and endeavouring, Father, to uh, produce this fruit, partner with you in producing this fruit, Lord, to see uh, good things happen, not only in our lives, but, Lord, in the community that we live in. Father, we pray for fruit in the community for people to be saved. We have many people across our congregation, Lord, who have family members or extended family who are not saved. God, we pray today that that would be the fruit that we would see come to be born in our lives through the life of this church, Father, through the life of the gospel going out into this community, that you would save people and that we would see that fruit take place. Lift our hearts to believe that, I pray. Lift our hearts to keep praying for that. And lift our hearts to be thankful, Lord, as we see this fruit come to take place in our lives, knowing it all is a work of your grace. Lord, we thank you for that now and ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Neville's going to uh, lead us around the communion table now to uh, reflect on that. And we're going to get uh, Nathan and Sam to um, distribute the uh, elements. Thanks, guys. me you can do nothing Todd just read but uh, Paul says I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me just throw it in there I was going to ask some uh, questions but I'm going to make them rhetorical now rather than just to save time Um, so I'm going to ask questions but I'm going to answer them myself the gospel according to John why was it written Todd touched on this a number of times as he's gone through. And if we read in, in uh, John chapter 20, talking about Thomas, um, Thomas said, unless I see, 
his wounds. Unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Later, Thomas is with Jesus and he says, um, Jesus says to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and be not unbelieving but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. Many other signs Jesus therefore did and performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John has written his book that we might believe. And what we've read today is the same as that. Another question. What was the first sin that mankind ever committed? Well, it was not disobedience. It was unbelief. Eve chose to believe somebody other than God. And so she didn't believe God. She believed the devil. And that had consequences. She then disobeyed God. Another question. What was the outcome of the unbelief? Yes, shame, but even more than that. Even more than the shame. They were cut off from the tree of life. Cut off from life. Here we have a tree. If I can find where I am. And they were broken off from the tree of life. Todd's just been talking about that. Broken off from life. The life is through the tree. What do we have here? Well, it looks living, doesn't it? But it no longer has life. It's no longer attached to the source of life. Another one, another question. What's going to happen to that now? It's going to die. It will die. Well, actually, in a sense, it's already died, but it doesn't look dead. It doesn't look dead. The living tree bears fruit, as Todd has been talking about. The living tree bears fruit. This, though it looks alive, won't bear fruit. It's dying, cannot bear fruit. If it remains cut off, it will die. That doesn't look alive. It looks dead, and it is dead. And in the end, dead things get cast aside and burnt. It may look alive, but it is dead. This is what Jesus said today in John 15. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, dries up, is gathered into the fire, and is burned. Some people trouble, are troubled with what Paul means in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What he means is we were cut off from life. We were separated from life. We may look alive, but we are cut off. And it is because of our unbelief, the consequence of unbelief, which we formerly worked. We could say we are dead men walking. It looks alive. People on death row have been sentenced to death, but they're still alive. But they may as well be dead because the sentence has been passed upon them. It looks alive, but it's actually 
dead. In Romans 11, Paul builds on this example that Jesus has given us. He says the Jews were cut, who didn't believe were cut, cut off, cut off from the tree of life because of that unbelief. We are either in the branch, in the vine, or we are cut off from it. And the Gentiles, or us as believers, we have been grafted in because of our faith, because of our belief. I might just cut this a bit shorter here. Um, How does this relate to the Lord's Supper itself? Adam and Eve were cut off because they disbelieved God's word. John tells us in chapter 1 that Jesus, the word of God, was with God in the beginning and actually was God. This word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Yes, many rejected him and remained as they were dead. Yet those who did receive him, they to them he gave the right to become children, even those who believed in his name. In chapter 6, Jesus, the word that had become flesh, said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He then went on to say, Truly, truly, I say to you that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The same illustration as we're looking at here. The Jews, even those who were following Jesus, balked at this and stopped walking with him. Note what Jesus says to them, because they didn't get it. They didn't get the point. He goes on to say, the flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit that gives life. It is the spirit that gives life. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. But But there are some of you who don't believe. The words of God, believing the word of God, is being a part of the a part of the uh, tree abiding. And elsewhere, as John has again told us today, if you abide in me, as the branch abides in the vine, and as you abide in my words, words being like sap, as Todd mentioned, flowing through our our veins, if they abide in us, then our prayers will be heard, and we will live and produce the the, the fruit fit for the kingdom of God. Today we're going to partake of emblems. Simple emblems which remind us of Jesus Christ. As we eat the bread, we remember that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We are to feast upon the word of God. Jesus gave, us, gave his life as a ransom to us. As we drink, we remember that his blood was poured out that we might be cleansed or forgiven before God. Therefore, these emblems remind us that God's word, that in Je- of God's words that in Jesus, both our punishment and our guilt have been dealt with. The question is, do we believe this? These are the words of God. We must believe them, and if we believe them, they will be life to us. If we partake, we can be glad, full of the joy that Todd was mentioning of. We can live. We can bear fruit, just like a living tree. Are you in Christ? 
if you are, then eat the bread now and drink the cup now and remember what they symbolise. God bless each one of us. Thanks, Neville. Thanks, guys. We can... I can hide behind the tree now. You can't see me. Uh, we can just go, go for coffee and cake. If anybody would like to catch up with me for some prayer or uh, any questions um, or issues 